Welcome in to the latest edition of the Chase and Mace podcast. I'm your host, Mace and me, and that's Chase Baxa. We're just two friends met at a school that no one's ever heard of, and this is the latest in soccer news. And Chase, we didn't have that much European action this week, but we did have some domestic FA Cup. Ooh, we had some good games this week. And the first game I want to start off with today is the Everton and Boreham Wood game. Chase, tell us about it. Mason, unfortunately, your boys from Boreham Wood, they, uh, they <sighs> didn't come to play today. No, they no, they did not. <laughs> they did not show out in the slightest. Losing to Everton 2 nothing, And uh, what's the name? Rondon. He scored two both goals for, for Everton. One in the 58th minute and one in like the 78th minute. So pretty spread out. Yeah, halftime going in at 0-0. But, man, the stats from this game are some of the craziest stats I've seen in a game for a while. Uh, Everton had 23 shots, while Borham Wood had one. Uh, Everton had 10 shots on goal, while Borham did not get a single shot on goal. (laughs) The possession percentages were 80% to 20%. Everton had a field day today. Uh, so you would expect a, a higher score line, but wow, Borham, they, they really struggled today, man. What what happened? You know, I, I don't know. The first half, they looked like they could have been in contention to maybe sneak a game out. You know, uh, it was 0-0 going into the halftime, and one of the Mason weird stat of the day, uh, Borham Wood had a total of 38 passes in the first half. That's literally less than... There is minutes in that half. They, they connected less passes. They, they did not even connect a pass per minute. Like, that is astounding. Wow. Wow. And here's, here's another one from uh, Borham Wood as well. Um, when Everton scored in the second half with Solomon Rondon, who, first of all, no idea he was still on the roster. Yeah. No I remember him. Still there. Remember him from, like, FIFA 13 or 14, but, like, wow. Wow. But no, one the what really surprised me was Borham Wood had not allowed a goal in the FA Cup until today. Wow, that's that's very surprising, especially with how they played. I mean, twenty three shots. That doesn't even look like they had a defense. It sort of look looks like Everton would just walk down the pitch and take a shot wherever they wanted. Yeah, it's pretty much what happened. It was just surprising though, because again, zero zero at halftime. Uh, Frank Lampard obviously had to get on his players and say, boys, this is a fifth-tier team. Like, what's going on? What's what's, yeah. what's what's happening? And then he brings on Richarlison, who I thought Richarlison changed the game completely wide open. He played as a winger going into the, the striker position with Solomon Rondon, and that just that just changed everything. That opened everything up. I don't know if um, – I don't know if Borham Wood got tired. Uh, their jerseys were actually bought by Everton. Another fun fact. And sure. – uh, yeah, it just it just looked like um, Borham Woods luck ran out in the FA Cup. Yeah, and this is as expected. Uh, the FA Cup and like the League Cup, all these cups have those really low tier, low division soccer teams coming in, and they'll make it sometimes to the round of sixteen, round of eight. But once we get to this round of eight, that's when usually those bigger teams uh, are usually uh, stepping in. The only team that really is a lower division team that is still in the competition is Middlesbrough. I mean, we, we know what Middlesbrough did earlier in the FA Cup, and they're still surprising. I mean, be, they beat Tottenham one nothing. Yeah, you know, it's really, it's really good to see uh, a, a, a big, really big upset in terms of 
uh, lower team beating a higher team. But unfortunately, that did not happen here with Middlesbrough <laughs> beating Spurs. <laughs> oh, I love that. I love that. But yeah, um, Kane did have his goal disallowed, which I thought it was. It could have gone either way to me. It looked. Yeah, I, I thought it was a goal. Uh, I watched it a couple times. Definitely thought it was a goal. Didn't really understand where the where the offsides was coming from or whatever even happened. It, it didn't look like it should have been disallowed. Uh, I think the the linesman just made a very quick decision and ended up getting it right with the VAR check. But, I mean, I think he got pretty lucky. Uh, Middlesbrough, in that case, getting pretty lucky because I think a Kane goal at that point would have completely turned that game on its head and Tottenham probably would have ran away with it. But Middlesbrough getting a goal and sitting on it until the end of the game. The one thing that really surprised me about this game was, well, first of all, with your comment before about VAR, there was no VAR because it was played in Middlesbrough's ground, which I'm going to ask a question on that later. But Middlesbrough had three to four really good chances off of set pieces. That's just really surprising me from a Spurs team that are just bigger. Yeah, that back line on the Spurs is usually very dominant in the air, especially, I mean, Hugo Lloris is almost always very dominant in the air. So it's very surprising that Middlesbrough was, was dangerous off of those set pieces. Uh, but Tottenham, we know we've been watching them all season. We've been talking about them all season. They've been very up and down. So I can't say I'm crazy surprised from this result. I don't think many people are very surprised from this result. Obviously, they beat Man City. That was probably the high of their season. That was probably the high of the last three seasons, honestly. Mm-hmm. And then losing to Burnley. And then again, losing to Middlesbrough. I mean, that's... What a roller coaster right there. That's pretty wicked. Yeah, but I'm with you there. The stats were really equal. I mean, this was a good game. I think Middlesbrough outshot Tottenham by one shot. Uh, the uh, The possession was like 54 to 56. It was, it was a really close game. It really was. Even just looking at it from the naked eye, it, it was very close. I thought Middlesbrough were on the attack more often than not. And I, what's up with Tottenham? They just keep sitting in and then countering and – you know, it works against the high-press teams, but I think we've said this for the last three or four weeks. It's not going to work against teams that just enjoy sitting back defensively. Yeah, and it, that's exactly what Middlesbrough does. So it's very surprising that we keep seeing Tottenham go with this counter-press. Um, it obviously worked against Man City, but that's the last team that we've really seen it work against. Uh, they did beat Leeds, what was it, 4-2? to two. Four so That does make sense uh, because they're a high-press team, but Burnley, definitely not a high-press team. We, uh, we've seen them all season, and they have never been a high-press team. They like to sit back. They like to collect the ball and then play up the field. Uh, so losing to them and then Middlesbrough, we don't usually see those lower division teams being crazy high-press and murder balls such as Leeds. But, I mean, Middlesbrough just sort of – they stuck with Tottenham this entire game. Pretty impressive from them. And they're going on to the round of eight, which is – impressive I, I love seeing that it really is and i why doesn't steven bergwai start you know i talk to our friend burke all the time about that i think every time i see a, t- a, a lineup i text him and say why is bergwai not starting and burke freaks out and says you know i have no idea that's a great point because he should be i mean he's in form he's been in form almost all season uh, so I see no reason why he's not starting. I see no reason why he's not getting way more minutes than he is. Uh, he's way too good of a player 
to be sitting on the Tottenham bench right now while we watch them lose to Burnley and Middlesbrough. I'm, I'm, I completely agree with you there. He came on and I thought completely changed the game for Tottenham. It opened up Middlesbrough a whole lot more once he got on and got at defenders from his wing position. But yeah, I agree. Bergwijn should definitely start at least over Lucas or even uh, Kulusevski, even though he's been in form as well in the Premier League. I was going to say, I would keep Kulusevski on, on the field. Um, I've never been a big fan of Lucas Mora. So I think if we were going to start Bergwijn, I would start him over Lucas Mora. Yeah, I completely agree. Now, let's let's shift gears a minute to VAR. And what I mean by that is in some of the grounds across England, like Middlesbrough, like Boreham Wood, like Kidminster, there's no VAR. But yet in the other big stadiums, there is VAR, obviously, against with Liverpool, Manchester United, all these big teams in the Premier League. Should VAR be used in the FA Cup if not all the stadiums have them? Definitely not. I feel like that is a huge advantage for wherever home team is playing or maybe it's a disadvantage i mean we saw it with the city game last weekend definitely can be a disadvantage at times uh, but i don't know i i wouldn't if not all stadiums have it i don't really see the reason why you would still have it at those stadiums that do um, you would think that the, you would just have a uniform decision throughout the entire cup which in this case would be not to use VA, var what do you think about it? I agree with you that if not all stadiums have it, they should not use it. But couldn't the FA supply each stadium with seven to eight different cameras to help with VAR? I was so, going to say, you know, it can't be that expensive. Uh, maybe it is. Maybe maybe we're underestimating the cost of the VAR setup. But it really doesn't look that expensive because it looks like it's just maybe two, three more cameras on each side of the field with one uh, monitor at half field for the referee to go look at. I mean, I don't really see how that's crazy hard to implement, but maybe it's a lot more complicated than we're thinking. Yeah, we are not, uh, how you say, mechanical engineers in this sense. Yes, not us. We have a lot of friends that are mechanical engineers, but not us. Yes, and maybe we'll bring them on the show, and I cannot wait to bring our Spurs and goalkeeper correspondent, Nate Burkhardt, on this show as well. Yeah, I would love to see what he has to say about this Tottenham team this season just because, man, they've been up and down. They've had some really high highs and they've had some really low lows. And, I mean, they, they've come pretty quickly as well. A pretty high high beating City like one and a half weeks ago and then losing to Middlesbrough just a couple days ago yesterday. Yeah, we're going to talk about their seesaw performance a little later on as well. But now let's shift gears to the Southampton versus West Ham game. And, oh, my gosh, goal of the year contention? Definitely. 110%. Holy. What a goal. What a hit, man. That was just a line drive. I loved it. Oh, my gosh. There was no spin on the ball. It had perfect dip. It had perfect knuckle. It was beautiful to see. Oh, my goodness. But overall, I thought Southampton, I think we've said this for the last three or four weeks in a row, Southampton just playing unreal right now. Specifically, do we dare we say again? James Ward-Prowse How's scores the penalty. Name up. We have to bring him up. He's so good. He he's is. playing so well. Oh my goodness! He clearly listens to this podcast, and he's just he's just feeding on the hype from us. Oh, definitely has to. Uh, the name that I kept seeing get brought up from this game is how do you say it? Braha? I believe so. Yes. Yeah. Uh, 
his name was getting brought up over and over and over again. He's actually on loan from Chelsea, and not many people think that he's going to go back to Chelsea, just looking at Chelsea's complete squad right now. I mean, they have some pretty good depth. They have a lot of good players, so it wouldn't really make sense for him to go back, so hopefully he gets sold and maybe comes to Southampton because he is playing very, very well alongside James Ward-Prowse. And, I mean, both of them getting on the score sheet. And then we had that goal, yeah, goal of the year contention. I mean, what a shot. What a rip. That was that was unbelievable. And I believe that was from their left back? I think so, too. <sighs> oh, uh, my gosh. What a, what a, what a, what a hit. Uh, I thought West Ham did not play well at all. No. I uh, think, yeah, which, for like the last two or three weeks, we've said, you know, they, they get the result, West Ham, but they're still not they're not getting that higher gear that we've seen before out of them, especially like the last two, three seasons and the early part of the season. Your thoughts? Yeah, I completely agree. I just didn't think they could kick it into that next year during this Southampton game. Southampton is playing very, very well, and their manager is actually up for manager of the month in the Premier League. And I wouldn't mind seeing it go to him because he has been great. Uh, that's The Southampton team since December has completely turned around and has made some very large strides in becoming a pretty good contender in the Premier League, um, maybe fighting for those those seven, eight, nine slots. I don't think they'll break into that top six uh, anytime soon, but they are a tough team to go against, and you can really never count them out in any game right now. And that's saying something. I mean, we can say the same for Burnley. Uh, we can say the same for Southampton, and then sometimes Norwich, not often, but sometimes Norwich. Uh, these teams that you would expect to just be an easy game, an easy win, being able to say, oh, well, you never know. Like, they can pull something out. They can pull something out of the woodwork. Uh, th- that makes this entire league super exciting, and seeing Southampton succeed makes me very happy and makes the Premier League in general just a better league. I, I completely agree, and um, you know Southampton's manager. No, I think he fully deserves man, er, uh, manager of the month. See, which it's hard because the Burnley manager is also up for manager. Of the That's month. true. Both of those managers are doing amazing things right now. Cool. Uh, but Burnley doing the sort of switch at the beginning of this month and end of February, uh, I would honestly lean more towards the Southampton manager. Um, I think the other two managers that were up for it were Klopp. And I don't remember the the fourth one, but I remember Klopp and then Burnley at Southampton. You know, with Klopp, he's just one of those managers that you could give it to him every month. Like he's such a great manager that you could give it to him every month. So I'd like to see it go go to somebody else. Uh, Yeah, me as well. Obviously, Jurgen Klopp's squad of Liverpool is just unreal. So there's there's no reason why he shouldn't win every month. Yeah, that's exactly what I'm thinking. So I would love for love to see Southampton's manager uh, get that accolade and add it to his trophy case. You know, I really love about the both of us is that we love good soccer and we always appreciate good soccer. Yeah, I agree. Now yep. let's Apologies. go. Nope, go ahead, Chase. Go ahead. I say we do, we just love watching these smaller teams just play great styles like Southampton's style of soccer is beautiful to watch Burnley's style of soccer when they're in form is beautiful to watch yeah and I agree I I love that we 
like watching these teams and can appreciate these teams whenever they're in good form. Absolutely, because like you and I can boast all day about how Liverpool's gonna win the league, City's gonna win the league, Spurs stink. Like you know, all these you know facts, all of these facts. But no, we we always we love to watch the game. We appreciate the game and the players and how teams can play outside of what we expect of them. Uh, Burnley, obviously an example. Uh, Southampton said it for weeks. Love to watch them play, and. I think it, that I think that's a good transition point with you know Liverpool Jurgen Klopp to talk about that Liverpool versus Norwich game. What are your thoughts on that? You know Liverpool definitely started a I wouldn't say weaker, uh, but more of a second tier team. I mean, obviously we started Minamino, which came in handy because he scored two goals. Uh, we started Divac Origi, and I think really one of the only players that played a ton of minutes in that Chelsea game on Sunday that played a lot this week was Jordan Henderson. Um, Jordan Henderson was the captain, uh, got the captain's band again, and led that team through our game against Norwich. Um, You even told me wasn't too impressive, and I agree. I mean, it wasn't crazy impressive, but we got the job done. And the stats don't really show how I think the game went, but because the stats were were very 50-50. It looked like a way closer game than what I thought it was. I still think the entire game, Liverpool had pretty good control. Uh, Norwich did steal a late goal, so Liverpool did go 2 nothing up, and then Norwich stole a late goal. And after that goal, they did look dangerous. They looked like they could tie the game. But uh, Liverpool calming everything down and just closing that game out was, I mean, it's great. We're going to the final eight, and our next game is either against Nottingham Forest or Huddersfield. So I think that's... I'll take my odds against both of those teams. Those, those guys play on Monday, so we'll figure out where Liverpool goes uh, because it is an away game. We'll figure out where they go in England on Monday to play their quarterfinal game. Uh, super excited about this, and I think the only play that I really have much to say from this game is Taki's first goal. Uh, Divac Origi, well, actually it was a ball in from Simikas, which I can't say enough good things about Simikas. I mean, he's the Greek freak of soccer. (laughs) I love him. Uh, He brings great energy. And when they won the League Cup, there's actually a video of him. The entire Liverpool squad is dancing around the trophy, and they're all just arm in arm and uh, all dancing together. And then Simikas comes out of absolutely nowhere doing some crazy uh, wild dance near the the (laughs) up. It was hilarious. I love the dude's energy because he doesn't play super, super often in the first team. Uh, doesn't play a ton whenever we're in the Champions League or whenever we're actually in a huge game um, in the Premier League. But, man, when he does come on, he's, in my eyes, almost just as good as Robertson. And, again, the energy he brings, the fun, he he's an amazing player to watch and quickly becoming one of my favorite players at Liverpool so he played a nice ball into Divock Origi. Origi took a nice, tidy touch in between like four players and definitely could have picked out some maybe like back heel or turn and shoot. Uh, but all he did, he saw Taki standing there with a guy sort of on his back, but not too too close, and just slides it right to him for Taki to just put it right in the front, front post. I mean, it was extremely unselfish, uh, extremely 
neat, I think was the word that I have here. It was very neat. His first touch was beautiful. His second touch was on the ground, even though the ball was bouncing. Uh, I think Origi really needs some more first-team time. Uh, I think Simikas also could benefit from from some first-team time. And even Taki. I mean, Taki scores a lot of goals. Uh, you actually, I think, have a fact about him. But uh, I don't know. I think these guys definitely deserve to get some more time in these big Premier League games and maybe in some Champions League games as well, just because they have been supporting this Liverpool squad whenever we don't want to start our big names. I agree with you there that Simikas has been absolutely amazing the past few months that he has played. Uh, Simikas and Milner, the Swiss Army knife. Uh, he literally, they, they both played really well today at the outside back positions. Uh, I do question some of Simikas's decision-making at being that left back, trying not to get caught out as some of his passes went a little wayward. So I would hold off a little bit on starting him or playing him a lot in those big games. Obviously when Andy Robertson's healthy, he's going to start. Yeah. Um, See, I just think we expect that out of those left backs. And I think Andy Robertson loses the ball more than almost anyone on the field at times. I think Andy Robertson loses the ball a lot. I think uh, I said it a couple weeks ago, Luis Diaz actually loses the ball quite often. Uh, Nabi Keita loses the ball a ton for Liverpool. And I would choose those three players as the biggest losses of possession in that Liverpool squad. So I don't honestly see that as a huge downside in Simikas's, uh play. But yeah, I would agree. That's probably what's holding Klopp back from giving him those big minutes. Uh, because, yeah, in some of those crucial possessions – he is giving the ball away in some very odd manners. Yeah, and I feel like with Andy Robertson, I know you you touched on him giving the ball away a decent amount. I think he's trying to be too much like Trent. Um, yeah. No one will ever be like Trent with his offensive prowess from the back. Yeah. So that's that's really all I have to say on that front. But, uh, yeah, Minamino. Uh, so he has 13 goals for Liverpool uh, since he came over, and nine of them have been this year in all competitions. Four of them are against Norwich this year. That's crazy because that's literally, what is it, almost 25% of his entire Liverpool career. All of his goals in his entire Liverpool career are against one team. Like That's crazy. Almost half of them this year are against Norwich alone. Which is wild. That is crazy. So yeah, yeah, that's another Mason weird set of the week. And with... Um, with Minamino, uh, Divock Origi, and Yota, who I thought played well again, it's it's so hard to break into that Liverpool first-team front line just because Mane and Salah already are just, you know, on another planet compared to those three. So they're really competing for basically one position on the field. Yeah. I See, uh, this might go against the, the popular belief of Liverpool fans, but I think we need to rest Mane more. I think sometimes he looks very tired. I think sometimes he looks like he's trying to put the team on his back at times. Um, and I would love to see him get subbed off a little bit earlier or maybe bring him on as a sub at times. Uh, he is one of the best players in the world right now. He is one of the best offensive player, players in the world right now. But I don't know. I think he looks very tired. I think he looks very worn out. So I would think that maybe replacing him, getting somebody else up on the pitch, uh, would not be a bad idea, especially in these late season games right now when we probably need Mane in a month or so, not really the most right now. 
that's that's understandable. I, I have no problem with anybody resting a winger for a game or two. Uh, but do you think that he it looks you know more tired because of the the uh, the Afcon commitment and any more of a international play? I definitely think so. I honestly think Mane and Salah both have come back from the Afcon looking not completely like themselves, which is crazy for me to say because uh, Mo Salah has hit some bangers and uh, Sadio Mane hit a bicycle kick. Like they look like themselves. They look they're scoring crazy goals. But just some of their play where I think they would make a better decision, uh, they make a very questionable ball or, or shoot whenever there's 16 guys around them. Like, I just uh, – I think their decision-making right now is actually what's been surprising me the most, which in turn will come from fatigue. That's fair. I, I respect that. Um, I fully agree. Like, once you get tired, you just kind of want to get rid of the ball. Um, not much more to it. Uh but yeah, that's it's really hard for those three guys even to get into those one or two positions. If you had to start one of those three, being Minamino, Origi, Yota, and you know we'll throw in Luis Diaz as well. If you had to throw in one of those four players to replace uh, Firmino and Mane, let's just say for the next game that they have, I'm not sure who it's against. Uh, I don't see that. Say it again. I don't. Oh, they play West Ham. West Ham. Okay. But like, who would you who would you start in that game against West Ham if you had to bench both Firmino, which I think he's out with an injury anyway, and Mane? Uh, so for Firmino, I'd probably start ooh, probably Louis Luis Diaz right now. I think Luis Diaz has been producing well. Again, I have said in the past, uh, and I even said it today. I think he is giving the ball away very easily. Uh, but the last game against Chelsea, he actually was very very good. I mean, I, I didn't see him give the ball away that often. And when he did, it was mostly like in the 18 or on the touchline. Like it wasn't someplace where Chelsea was countering immediately from Luis Diaz losing the ball. And I think the last game before that, he was losing the ball in crucial positions where I was like, dude, what are you doing? Like you're, <laughs> you are causing complete disarray in your back end because you're just carelessly giving the ball away in the middle of the field uh, but now uh, against Chelsea I think he was a lot better so I would give him the start and then specifically against West Ham I would choose Divock Origi uh, I think Divock is always a really good player uh, always has been a really good player and it really sucks that we sit him on the bench because I would love to see him go somewhere else and get a lot of time which sucks to say because obviously there's a lot of history between Liverpool and Divock Origi but he is a first-team player in my eyes. He deserves to be a first-team player and is just not getting the time at Liverpool that he deserves. So this summer, I know he only signed a one-year one contract last summer, so I think this summer is probably going to be his last one at Liverpool, sadly, sadly enough, uh, probably his and Firmino's. So this Liverpool squad might change up quite a bit this summer. But if I had to rest those two, um, being Mane and Firmino, I would probably start Luis Diaz and Divock Origi. I'm going to go in a little bit of a different direction. I, I fully respect your opinion, obviously. You know, you're a Liverpool supporter. You know, you know more than I do in, on this matter. Um, but you're wrong. No, I'm kidding. Um, I, would, <laughs> I would like to see Luis Diaz go more on the wing because, like you said, he does give the ball away in weird spots. I'd rather have him lose the ball on the wing than in the middle of the park where you could get split open right away. 
That's fair. So I would prefer Luis Diaz on the wing, and I would start uh, Yota at that striker position for Bobby Firmino. That's fair. So I would also put Luis Diaz on the wing, uh, putting Divock Origi in that striker position. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that would be – that's probably the more logical one is starting uh, Diego Jota – or Diogo. Sorry, Diogo Jota. Uh, obviously, starting him is the more popular decision and probably what would happen if we had to bench those two. Uh, but I just love Origi, and I think he deserves more time. And, and everyone will never forget, you know, corner taken quickly and who was there. Yeah, not not one Liverpool fan will ever forget his his contribution to that Champions League game. And no matter no matter what happens for the rest of his career, he could leave in in scandal for for whatever, but he would still get a hero's welcome if he ever returns to Anfield. A hundred and ten percent. I mean, that goal, the goal against Jordan Pickford in Everton in, like, the 94th minute. Like, there's so many last-minute goals coming from Divock Origi. Oh, the one against Wolves earlier this season. That's right. This dude is just all over the place. <laughs> and in the ninth, or like in the 80th minute and later, this dude is lethal. It, it just shocks me that he, he doesn't get on the field more. Obviously, you know, Yota's good. Uh, Minamino, who I think is the perfect backup winger. He's the perfect super sub for Liverpool. But it's just really surprising that he doesn't get as much playing time as he does, as he should. Yeah. It surprises me that we honestly put in our young bucks like Harvey Elliott um, more than we put in veterans such as Divock Origi. Uh, Divock really only coming in in the 80th minute and later nowadays. Uh, it really looks like Klopp only puts him in when he needs some Origi magic. He usually gets it, but uh, yeah, I mean, we really do not utilize him anywhere close to as much as I would love for us to use him. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like with young players, you need that older veteran to kind of steer them into the direction of like, hey, this is how you're supposed to play in this situation. This is how you're supposed to play when this happens. I feel like that happened a lot with Cavani when Greenwood was at Man- when both those players were at Manchester United, uh, Ibrahimovic with Rashford. Um, I think Divock Origi will really help, um, really help Harvey Elliott and Luis Diaz. But you got to play him more. Yeah, has to get on the field for him to be able to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. All right, so let's shift gears a little bit now and head over to another surprising game in the FA Cup and that was Chelsea and Lutton Town. I was watching the score on this game while I was coaching my practice and I saw Lutton Town go 2 nothing up and I was like please god let this stand. Please 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 can we kick out Chelsea from two domestic cups in one week. I was like that would be amazing. Uh, but Lukaku being almost Divock Origi-esque in <laughs> uh, coming in clutch in the, what, 80th minute and scoring their third goal. Um, do you think this takes off any pressure of Lukaku right now? Because obviously the announcers could not stop talking about how much pressure was on Lukaku in the League Cup final. You but know, any more um, off? You know, I, th- I think there's still going to be added pressure to Lukaku because it's against Lutton Town. Granted, granted, Lutton Town played, I thought, fantastic this game. They defended well. They played hard as a team. They were stuck together all in. 
They played at home, so you know they had their own fans going. But there's it, Lukaku scored against Luton Town, a League Three team. Yeah, it's like anybody scoring on the Jets this year is it, it's against the Jets. It doesn't matter. Fair enough. Fair enough. Yeah, uh, I can definitely see that. But there is just so much pressure on Lukaku right now. I he needs something to relieve that pressure, or else I don't think he's sticking around for long. Yeah, I completely agree. I feel like this was a game that was just like a uh, finally I scored game. Yeah, but no, it's time he, he's got to pick it up again. When he was at Everton and West Brom, he was borderline unstoppable, being the best striker in the world. I mean, even Inter Milan, man, he was. I think he was one of the best strikers in the world at that moment for Inter. Like, yeah, I saw his name pop up on my Instagram or pop up anywhere. Every single week going, he had an amazing game. He scored another goal. He scored a brace. Like, what is going on with him at Chelsea? I just don't understand. I I just think we said this last week, but he doesn't fit that Chelsea mold. No, not even the slightest. Both him and I think Timo Werner, too, who also got on the score sheet to level the game at 2-2. Yeah, and I think that's right there how you know Lutton Town is not as uh, up to par as some other (laughs) Premier When you see Werner and Lukaku on the score sheet for Chelsea, that's when you should say, are they really that good of a team? And nothing well, against Lutton Town, and they made it to the round of 16, which is very impressive for them to do in the FA Cup. But anybody who's getting scored against by Werner right now just does not impress me in the slightest. Well, hey, maybe they focus all 10 men on the field to just focus on everybody else but Werner and Lukaku. And it just happened, the ball, the ball fell right to both of them. That's not a bad strategy, honestly, against Chelsea right now. Hey, it works. It works for them now. We'll see if it works against Burnley this weekend. All right. Let's shift gears. Oh, say it again. I say I hope it doesn't. I hope it doesn't too. All right. Let's let's shift over to the Crystal Palace and Stoke game. Crystal Palace beat uh, Stoke City two to one, and Patrick Vieira, eighteen games in a row without a defeat in the FA Cup. He has um, three wins straight as a Crystal Palace manager and. 15 wins in a row when he was a player at Arsenal. So he's sitting nice and easy at that 18-game winning streak. The last time they lost, by they I mean um, Patrick Vieira, excuse me, was 2003-2004 against Manchester United. Holy cow, man. That is a long time, honestly. It's so long that I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer was still playing. So, Crystal Palace actually plays Everton next in the quarterfinals. So, we'll see if that uh, we'll see if that streak continues. That's going to be a good game. Yeah, it should be very good. Two teams that have been very up and down all season. Yeah, I completely agree. And is that going to be at Goodison Park? Ooh, uh, I hope so, honestly. It, uh, it will not. Oof. Goodison Park rocking. Nothing better. Yeah, it'll be at Selhurst. Interesting. Selhurst Park. That's that. That is a really good stadium. Patrick Vieira has been really good in the Premier League this year so far. Um, he went a little bit in a dip in form, but they're back now. They're they're playing well. Um, so, is there any other game you want to talk about before we get into the weekend? Um, I mean, we just got to bring up the last game that we haven't talked about, which is Man City beating Peterborough or Peterborough two uh, nothing. Mara's and Grealish scoring. Who cares though? We can move on. I mean, City did not look fantastic in this game, but Petersburg, like, come on. 
Yeah, exactly. Uh, we this is a, as expected, so I don't really care about it. But hopefully, they can get kicked out of the FA Cup sooner or later. Yeah, I'm with you there. All right, so let's move on to the Premier League games that are coming this to you this weekend. Uh, we have, I think, four insanely good games this weekend. Four insanely good. The first one I want to mention is Leicester versus Leeds United. Leicester, they've been in great, great form the last two games. Uh, Jamie Vardy is finally back. He's having a party, scoring the 90th minute in the last game out. And Leeds, maybe they can win under the new manager. Your thoughts, Chase? I don't think Leeds is going to pull this out, man. <laughs> really? Um, no, nah, not a chance. I think Leicester, especially with Jamie Vardy back, I think they're taking this one 2 nothing because I just don't see Leeds getting it together in one game. Uh, maybe they prove me wrong. I said that I said the exact same thing about Everton when Frank Lampard took over, and I was right. So I'm going to go with my gut on this one as well and say that Leicester is going to beat Leeds 2 nothing. just because I, I don't think that quick of a turnaround is possible for a team like Leeds, who just let up, let's not forget this, 14 goals in three games. And for reference, Man City has let up 17 goals all season. They've let up 14 goals in three games. That's ridiculous. That is ridiculous. I'm, I'm in the same boat as you. Uh, I had a 2-1 to one win over Leicester, mainly because Jesse Marsh, for one thing, is a defensive-minded coach, so I think he will clear it up a little bit. But I think I just think with the high-press team that Leeds are, uh, Middlesbrough, Mil- or not Middlesbrough, excuse me, Nottingham Forest got after Leicester in the FA Cup and just pushed him around. Remember that game? It was 4-2? to I do remember that. Wow. But again, Leicester is such an up-and-down team that you really don't know which team you're going to get whenever you play Leicester. That's true. That's really true. But I, with Vardy in the lineup, I'm assuming Madison's going to play. He scored a goal in his last time out, too. I just think those two are going to combine for something. I, that's not going to be my wild card. Not going to be my wild card event, but I still have a two to one win for Leicester City. Uh, next game is going to be Newcastle and Brighton. What do you think about this one? Uh, Brighton being very good recently. Also, Newcastle have been very impressive uh, on the same th- same side. So I went a pretty close match. I still think Newcastle is going to pull it out two to one, uh, but I think this is going to be a really good game and definitely a game to watch this weekend. I think Brighton again. I mean, they haven't been getting results recently, but they have been playing really good soccer. I think they have uh, some really good players. I think they have a good management. Uh, I like watching Brighton play here and there. So I think they'll make it rough for, for Newcastle, but I still think Newcastle is going to ride this high that, that they're on and pull this one out. You know, I'm with you there. I feel like Newcastle have a lot more firepower than Brighton do, but I think Graham Potter, the way he leads that team, uh, I think Brighton's going to – be competitive in this game, but I still think it'll be close, like you said. And I, 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 pre- I predicted a one-to-one tie with my event being a Neil Malpay goal. Interesting event. I can. All right. All right. The next game, we're going to have two informed teams. That's going to be Wolves versus Crystal Palace. Yeah, two informed teams, just like you said. I went one-to-one on this one. Uh, Wolves just not getting results recently, just not scoring goals when they need to score goals. Uh, they did against, who was it, Leicester. Uh, they didn't deserve to win that game. Leicester controlled that entire game, and Wolves pulled one out in like the 77th minute. Uh, it was off of a counterattack. So I just don't think 
that they're going to be able to pull it off against the Crystal Palace team that we see, like you said, is in form. Uh, so I'm going one-to-one. I, yeah, I can't see anybody breaking the stalemate on this one. You know, I went in a completely opposite direction. I predicted a high-scoring game at 3-2 to two in favor of Crystal Palace. Oh, I would love to see that, honestly. I would absolutely love to see that. Wolves have just uh, – and I've, I've trashed on their three-back here and there, but they are pretty good dis- defensively. I mean, they're pretty solid. They get numbers behind the ball very, very often and very quickly. So I could see it happening. Um, but if I was going to predict a three to two, I would definitely go the opposite. I would go Wolves three and Crystal Palace two. So I, I like the confidence in Crystal Palace right there. My own opinion is that I think um, Patrick Vieira has something special for that counterattacking in the, against that three back, like you said, of Connor Cody and Saiz, who are normally very solid. But it would not surprise me at all if it did go the other way. Obviously, Ruben Neves can't speak enough good things about him. Yeah, seriously. Uh, but yeah, I still think it'll be a high-scoring game. It'll it'll be one to watch, especially this weekend. Yeah, this weekend's going to be such a fun a fun time for soccer. I mean, I'm going to definitely be looking forward to it. Absolutely. And this next game is <laughs> came up with a really funny name for this. So you know how special games in football have very like special kind of names. You know. The Malcolm Butler game, the Beastquake game, things like that. Yeah. This game is called Seesaw Game, and it's between Spurs and Everton. Yeah, both teams riding a seesaw this season. I love it. I love this. Uh, what, what did you predict for it? I want to get your prediction on this one. I said a 2-2 two to two tie with no defense being played whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, I could see that. I can also see neither team scoring, and that's what <laughs> I – I went zero zero. <laughs> that's that's understandable. I just think you know with Kane and Son up top, there's that that's hard to beat altogether. Especially um, Will Keane at the back for Everson. He hasn't been as strong lately. He's been looking you, really tired. You know we say that, but they just didn't score against Middlesbrough. I mean, and they had Kane and Son on the field. True. So I'm going zero zero. I don't think anybody's scoring in this. I think it's just going to be a boring game to watch. And I also think um, Van de Beek and Dilly Alley are both going to play and play a lot in this game. And hopefully one of them can get an assist or a goal. I would love to see Dele Alley actually do something for this, uh, this Everton squad. Uh, like I said, when they played Man City, I loved his energy. I loved the way he was playing. So I would love, love, love to see him put a little bit more effort into this game against his former club. I, I completely agree with you there. Uh, he's a great, great talent, that's for sure. Uh, has been a little bit lazy in the past, so I want to see him fully get a good opportunity and see him shine. Yeah, would love to see that. Absolutely. All right, so we're going to hold off on the last of our five games until a little bit later on because that's going to be a big talking point for us later. So I'm going to switch it over to my lock pick, and that's going to be Arsenal versus Watford. Okay. And I'm going to predict that Arsenal win three to one. They've just been playing fantastic this year. Defense a little bit, a little bit shaky, but I still think they're going to pull it out in the end. Yeah, I think that's a solid choice. I think that's a very smart decision. Uh, Arsenal have been playing well, especially the past three, four games. They've been playing very, very well. They've been looking very threatening, and against a Watford team that did just tie Manchester United, but still sitting in what eighteenth, nineteenth place. Uh, so. I could definitely see that happening. My lock pick, I chose uh, Liverpool over West Ham, 2-0. West Ham have not been playing good for the past month and a half. Liverpool, obviously, have been playing good. Uh, 
for the past month and a half. So I think they're going to easily take this one two to nothing. Would not surprise me in the least bit if that does happen. Yeah. All right. Now for the upset pit, I'm going to make a bet that we had the same thing. Yeah, I hope so. I hope we support the same team here. And I think I think Burnley's going to pull it out over Chelsea one to nothing. That's exactly what I had for my upset. <laughs> Beautiful. That's what we're talking about Mace. That's what I'm talking about. Beautiful. Burnley. <laughs> Love the support in Burnley there. Listen, Burnley, obviously, they've been in insane form lately. They did lose Ben Mee, and he's going to be a game-time decision, so that's going to be a big factor in this game. But yeah, overall... plays, I think we could definitely have a really good chance at this upset pick coming true. I really hope so. Weghorst, please, if you're listening to this podcast, score a goal and then sit back and defend. Help out Nick Pope, who's Don't been... Pass the, do not pass the halfway line. Oh defend my. for the rest of the time. <laughs> we need it. We need it, guys. Come on, please. Chelsea, obviously, have not been in the best form. Lukaku, Werner, two very disappointing players for them this season. Yeah. in <sighs> Burnley, we have been loving to support Burnley this season, uh, especially in the past couple of weeks. And we've been loving to hate on Chelsea. So this is a perfect game for us to support our boys in the, in the what is it? They wear burgundy. The boys in burgundy, man. We need those. Uh, please, Captain Ben Me play. Nick Pope, be the lord and savior to this back line, please. Honestly, that's a really good goaltending face-off right there. Nick Pope and possibly Mendy. I mean, hopefully they play Mendy. Both. Really good goalkeepers, and probably my top two goalkeepers for the Premier League season right now. I'm with you there, and I have De Gea at that third position. But Oh, for sure. For sure. Absolutely. De Gea have been having a very, very good season. Absolutely. But yes, Nick Pope, Mendy have been the two best, in my opinion, and that'll be a good face-off. I really hope Mendy plays. There's, I don't think there's any reason why Kepa should play. He just let up two goals against Peterborough, or uh, against um, Lutton Town, excuse me. Oh, did he play against Lutton Town? Yeah, he did. He started. All right, then, yeah, you, there's zero reason you start Keppa. You I really mean, think Mendy would give up two goals to those guys? You know, no, I didn't. But with this Chelsea team right now, you really don't know. That's true. That's true. All right, it's time to talk about the big game, the massive well, game. Yep. This is where my event, actually, uh, this is where I picked my event, this game, actually. I'm scared to hear it. I predicted a 2-1 to one win for Manchester United. That is the boldest thing you have made on this podcast yet, Mason. Oh. That's so bold. Oh. Two to one for United. Mm-hmm. United just tied Watford, man. I will explain in a minute, but first I want to hear your opinion. All right. Well, I have City and United, and this is just this has nothing to do with my support for United. This is just purely because I need City to drop points. <laughs> I have City and United tying 2-2. Two 2-2, to two. Two to two. interesting. I do think they're going to score a lot of goals. I think there's gonna be, this is going to be a thriller. I think it's going to be a crazy game. I think it's going to be a heated game, honestly. Just both teams, uh, City being real shaky, and United just needing something to grasp onto. Needing some game, some event, just anything to grasp onto to turn their season around. I think this game could be it. So I think a two to two tie and it getting really chippy would be uh, my prediction. And my event is I see Cancelo scoring. Really? Yep. I, I think that he, his form recently has been unreal. Uh, 
I definitely see him scoring for sure. All right. So before I talk about why I believe Menu will win uh, the scoreboard, uh, it's twenty-two to thirteen. Chase in favor of you. You're up by nine. Uh, I don't know how that happened. I think I think there's some collusion going on. There might be. Who do you who do you know in the Premier League, Chase? That's the real question here. You know, I've been talking to this guy. He has the same last name as you. <laughs> <laughs> if it's Ben Me, I want to know. Hey, I would be loving to talk to Ben Me right now. I would love that as well. Talk to my cousin. Hey, Ben Me, get on the podcast, man. Please do. I love it. Absolutely love it. All right. So I say United 2-1 to one with a win over City because Ralph Ragnick, while you and I have both slandered and slandered and slandered him on this podcast, he has his tactics has created the most chances in the Premier League since he has taken over. Wow. And in that time, he has lost only one game, not in the Premier League, but he's just lost one game, and that was to Middlesbrough in the FA Cup. I think Ronaldo will rise to the occasion for this game because he knows it's a big game and it's one he has to show out for. What about that game against Burnley? It's Burnley. Sure. It, it's easier to boast yourself up for a big, a big derby game than it would be to uh, boast yourself up for someone like Burnley. It's like trying to get ready for the El Clasico, but yet you can't score against Deportivo. Yeah. Like yeah. there's there's different levels to that, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. But with City, they have not looked good the last three games. No. They, they eked out a win against Everton. They lost to Spurs. They did not look good when they played against Petersborough. I think United are going to get on them super, super early, score one or two quick goals in the first half, and just – hold on for dear life toward the end of the game once Manchester City get going. The one thing that has been screwing City this year in those big games, I believe, has been a clear-cut number nine. Very true. They started Gabriel Jesus at the at the midweek when they played against Petersborough. He's not the answer. Um, I think Phil Foden will play on the wing with Raheem Sterling. Sterling obviously has the most goals in the in the Premier League for Manchester City, but I think United are going to get out, get a win because they're going to get on them early, turn them over quickly, and get after them. So what's your answer to Phil Foden? I mean, Phil Foden, even though City has been shaky, Phil Foden has had a hot hand recently. He has been a hot hand, but if you throw an informed Luke Shaw with Rafael Varane behind him, I don't think he's going to get by him. I would agree. I mean, Phil Foden's quick, but Luke Shaw is... Uh, deceivingly fast. As long as Luke Shaw does not get caught out going forward too much, I think it'll be a lock for Manchester United. As long as Alex Tellez is not out there. Oh, we can only pray. (laughs) If Tellez is against Foden, I think it might be a 5-0 loss. Oh, jeez. And I I honestly don't think Harry Maguire is going to start this weekend. I would hope not. I think City is way too fast of a team for Harry Maguire to keep up. I'm with you there. I feel like they're going to start um, Victor Lindelof with Rafael Varane. And I don't know if they're going to start Dalot or Juan Bissaka at this point. Um, I would honestly start Juan Bissaka. I think Juan Bissaka has played very well. I think he's shown up. Um, yeah, I don't know. I think he's shown up in big games and big moments. I would love to see Juan Bissaka play. I would too because he's probably going to go up against Sterling. 
who is just fast as balls, and Dalo is going to get caught out every single time with him. I think Wambasaka's positioning, his one v one defending, he he's really limited Sterling. The last few times they've played, and I don't think Sterling has scored a goal against Manchester United yet. I don't think so. I could be wrong. You can fact check me, whoever's listening. I, if you say I'm wrong, okay, great. Um, Who cares? It's Sterling. It's Sterling, exactly. I think Sterling will not score again, but I think Juan Bissaka playing against him is going to be key this game. Yeah, I would love to see it. And honestly, I would not be displeased at United winning this game. Obviously, I need City to lose as many points as possible. I just don't see United being strong enough to hold off a City team that's this good. Uh, but they, they are very in very in a, a shaky in a shaky spot. So I guess we'll see. I'm excited to watch this game. I think this is the game of the weekend. Uh, obviously, I'm ready for this Liverpool game for against West Ham, but West Ham has not been in form. And City and United, United, again, the, exactly what I said. You sort of played off of it in the same way that I said. This is going to be a game that they just want to sink their teeth into. They want to grasp onto something to turn this season around. And I think both of us are saying that this could definitely be the game for United to turn their their attitudes and this entire team around. I completely agree. This is the perfect time to play against Man City because they're not playing well. Yeah. I would love to see some crazy result this weekend. Absolutely. United obviously have not been clinical. They have under Ralph Ragnick, they could have scored they could probably score four goals a game with how at least, you know, what we've said the last three or four weeks. But honestly, I think United will grab one or two chances. I said two, but we'll see. Um, but yeah, United should. I think the United should come away with this win. Fair enough. All right, Mace. I have some trivia about this Manchester Derby that we have coming up. Oh boy, let's see if I can five, do better than last time. Five trivia questions. Um, honestly, I think that you'll get at least two of them. Okay. All right. So our first one. And this is the one that I think you will definitely know is who has scored the most goals in the Manchester Derby history. I'm going to go Wayne Rooney with 10. See, I don't have the the amount, but it is indeed Wayne Rooney. So if you say 10, I'm probably going to believe it is indeed. (laughs) All right. One from one. Uh, The next. So you're one out of five so far. Good stuff. Good stuff. Beautiful. Number two is which Manchester United legend scored his first professional goal in the Manchester Derby. Ooh. A little tough one. Is it someone I would know off the top of my head? Oh, 110%. I'm in between two. I am in between two. Oh, um, oh, I just, I'm in between three now. All right, let's hear I'll tell you if he's in your uh, your three that you pick. All right, my three are going to be uh, Paul Scholes, Ryan Giggs, and Roy Keane. He is indeed within those three. Oh. I know Roy Keane in his first game for Manchester United scored a brace against the team that he pl- that the team that they played. Uh, oof. So it was just one goal, so that should knock him out. Should, yes. So I'm going to go with Ryan Giggs. It is indeed Ryan Giggs. Let's go. We go back to the Ryan Giggs answer. I think, what is it? This is now 
seven questions in the past uh, two weeks, and three of the answers have been Ryan Giggs. <laughs> well, hey, I mean, he's a great player. He is a great player. I loved watching him. I think, honestly, I've only owned one Manchester United jersey my entire life, and it was a Ryan Giggs jersey. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I love that guy. All right, here's one I don't know if you'll get, but I would love if you do. Mm-hmm. So, what nickname did Sir Alex Ferguson give to City in 2009? Oh, this is a good one. I, I'm not 100% sure. Uh, ooh. So, it has something to do with, like, the proximity of those uh, of those teams. Oh, is it the Noisy Neighbors? It is indeed the Noisy Neighbors. I didn't know that he was the one that came up with that. Wow. Yeah, that is Sir Alex Ferguson that uh that came up with that one. The other choices on this where I found these questions, the other choices were like uh the low down losers or something. <laughs> I, was, I was like, I don't think Sir Alex Sir Alex Ferguson was that mean. Well sometimes. Yeah, he could be. He could be. The whole the whole hair dryer, you know. Yep. <laughs> yeah, so it is the indeed the noisy neighbors. I think that's a hilarious name. That is really funny. All right, so this one I just picked because this man's name was in the the papers here a little bit. We talked about him before because he got called up to the Italian team, uh, and I actually he made some sort of outlandish comments recently, but also not that outlandish. But here's the question: How many goals did Mario Balotelli score in 2011 when City beat United six to one? It's at least one. Because of the why always me shirt, I will have that ingrained permanently in my mind. <laughs> I think everyone does. I think when people think of Mario Balotelli, I think they automatically think why always me. I'm gonna go with two goals. He did indeed score a brace. Oh my god, that's four for four, base. Holy <laughs> cow! Oh boy, it's heating up now. We're cooking with Crisco now. It, it, I think I sent it to you, Mario Balotelli, recently saying. Uh, if he would have focused during his time at City, if he would have focused and got his uh, mental game way better and, and just in better shape, he would have had a just as successful of a career as Messi and Ronaldo. I honestly don't think that's too far off. I, mean, I, I, I believe he would have had he would have been an elite player. He would have been unreal if his mindset would have been correct or anything like like a Jordan Henderson player or like a Mo Salah like that sort of mentality uh, just a workaholic mentality or even just like a Cristiano Ronaldo mentality if he would have had a Cristiano Ronaldo mentality I think he could have easily been one of the best players in the Premier League absolutely I completely agree he was so good for Italy he was so good for AC Milan he was so good for Inter Oh my goodness, he was he was ready to roll with the Premier League, but obviously men, the mental aspect of the game just did him dirty. Yep. All right, you ready for this last question? I'm ready to go five for five. I think, yeah, I mean, I think you'll know this one. Uh, maybe not, but you do have a vault of random soccer <laughs> knowledge, so you True. might know this one. What is the overall Manchester Derby record? So 186 games have been played. How are they split? Oh, I don't know these numbers off the top of my head. That's honestly, I'm surprised by that, Mace. <laughs> you know, I do, I do in fact know 
that there have been 49 meetings in the Premier League so since 92. There have been uh, there have been 49 meetings with Manchester United winning 27 and City winning, I believe it's 15. Oh. Oh. So you said 183 meetings, correct? 186. 186, excuse me. Yeah. Hard math there. A lot of hard math because... All right, I'm going to assume Manchester United has one more. Yes, they have. Oof. I'm going to guess Manchester United have 108 wins. Okay. And Manchester City has 46 wins, and the rest are ties. Interesting. So you went United dominating this Manchester Derby record. Yes, because Manchester United have always, not always, but have usually, usually been on top of City. Yeah, until the past uh, probably like four or five years. I would say the last 10. I would say the last 10 years. Yeah, I wouldn't say City has been that prominent in the last 10 years, but definitely in the last five. So the actual record is United 77 wins, City 56 wins, and there has been 53 ties. That does not surprise me at all. Yeah, that's a lot of ties, but yet United still taking the cake pretty, uh, pretty well over City still. Absolutely. Absolutely. Oh, I'm so excited for this weekend. So yeah, excited. Crazy. I'm so excited for these games. I mean, the Leicester and Leeds game is going to be an interesting one. Newcastle and Brighton, even those are those are two bottom-of-the-table teams. That's still going to be an exciting game to watch. Uh, Wolves and Crystal Palace, both informed teams, very exciting. I think the most boring game that we're going to be seeing is this Spurs and Everton game. Yeah, dude, that seesaw game is going to be so much fun to watch. It's either going to be super fun or it's going to be the most boring game of the weekend. You know, we said that a few weeks ago about uh, Chelsea and Spurs, and that was really boring. Yeah, true. Oh, all right. So before we head out, uh, you sent me something earlier today that I did want to talk about because I think it's very interesting. And that is the Champions League schedule for 2024 and 2025. Yeah, God, do I hate this, man. I hate this so much. It's basically another season. They're adding on a whole nother season to all these players on top of all their international play, plus all the other leagues. Like Liverpool is playing like three games in a week. And then you want to add almost what? I think they're adding. There was a total of like 100 additional games. Yeah, 100 additional games. That is not okay. That's too much. Yeah, so uh, the new schedule for the 2024 to 2025 Champions League is going to be 36 teams where everyone is in one giant pool, and there's going to be five home and five away games in that time. Um, and the top eight teams, in the it, once they finish the games, the top eight teams are going to automatically qualify for the round of 16, and teams 9 through 24, I believe, are going to be uh, put into a put into a tournament style game and the winners of those games will get the other last few spots in that round of 16. Yeah. So that's where that two legged playoff uh, game style that we see today actually comes in. So yeah, the top eight sides in the league will league phase will qualify automatically to the knockout stages. And then the teams finishing in ninth to 24th 
So 12 teams get knocked out. Uh, all those teams will be placed in a two-legged playoff game style like how we see right now to secure their path to the last 16. That just sounds stupid. I think – I don't think – I think the Champions League, the way it's set up now, is perfect. Um, I was going to say, everything I see about this is people asking, what was wrong with what we're doing now? I think a big thing about it was the congestion of the schedule. And what I mean by that is with the international calendar happening, there's, you know, two to three days a week where you're not having games. Like every two to three, every two to three days you have a game, which Mm -hmm. was not how it used to be. It's just, it's crazy to me to think that one, FIFA's trying to get more games in. Like they're trying to have the biennial World Cup. So every two years is going to be a World Cup with the European Championships and a lot of other confederational uh, games being played in that year gap between the two World Cups. Between yeah, Exactly. Um, which I think is really dumb because you're not giving any of the players just time to rest. Like I think Pedri was the prime example of this over the summer because he, he played in the Euros and then went to the Olympics. And then he was right back at Barcelona with, I think it was two days of rest in total. Yeah, which is ridiculous. I mean, that's good. That's just going to get a, a player injured. I mean, we look at Pedri, and <laughs> I know there was memes about him. He looked like death. Like, his first, like, two, three games at Barcelona, he looked like he was just dying. He looked like a skeleton. Like, it was like, dude, get some sleep. And that's crazy. Like, to be 18 years old, 20 years old, and running around like a madman playing – 70 something games like ridiculous that's way too much on a player i think you played a total of 90 games in a calendar year yeah which is ridiculous i mean if that's 52 weeks he almost played two games a week for the entire year yeah which gosh i mean i couldn't even imagine playing two games a week for a couple of months I, i can't even play two games in a week now that's what I'm saying. One I week. Saying, I think my body would give out if I played two games in a week for three weeks straight. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. But, no, I think this Champions League schedule is really dumb. Um, I th- yeah. I think – so, once they excluded out the away goals rule, which I didn't really necessarily mind when they first had it. It was very confusing, so I don't mind that they – they took that out because it was harder for younger fans to get into it. That's true. Yeah. No idea what was going on. I'm with you. I could, I, yeah, I could understand that. So the fact that they took away the away deals rule that makes these, um, these round of 16 and onward games better in my opinion, because you don't need to worry about the away goals, but no, the group stage, I thought it was perfect the way it was. I would agree. I see no reason for them to change it, but I guess UEFA has other ideas. Guess so. Uh, I just think they're wrong. I would agree. I think most of the soccer fan base right now thinks they're wrong. And I really hope they do not go through with the biennial, biennial World Cup. Yeah, I see no reason for that to get approved. Uh, the, I think the four-year model is perfect because one generation of players can get one, maybe two World Cups in total as a whole. Like, and that's how it should be. The World Cup is the biggest sporting event in the entire world. Like, you should only be playing two and maybe, if you're lucky, three in your lifetime. Absolutely. Uh, The whole world stops for the World Cup. Yeah, seriously. The whole world stops. I remember. Pause.
exactly. I remember just watching on ESPN in 2014. Every single segment had the World Cup in it. Every mm-hmm. single one. Yep. I loved it. I, I'm praying uh, FIFA president, who I, I forget your name. Um, honestly, the only person I remember is Sepp Blatter, but uh, he sucks. Um, but yes, please, FIFA president, do not go through with the Biennial World Cup. It'll make football so much better. So much better if you don't. Make sure the players get ample rest. Let us have our we let's reshape the international calendar. I'm, I'm I fully support that. Like we need to get some of these players rest, some of these players time to just heal off of, you know, three to four games in 10, 15 days. We need to chill out with that. Mm-hmm. All right. Chase, is there anything else you want to talk about? I don't think so. Well, all right then. All right. We'll see you guys on Tuesday. Have a great weekend and be sure to catch up on that Derby game. It's going to be awesome. See you guys That's next great. time. I did.